0: All right. Hello, everyone. Once again, it's Bob Turner and I'm sitting here with Jeremy Woodward. We're on the Summit podcast. We're getting another episode out to you, kind of trying to get a bunch done here before the end of the year so we can hit our goal. I think when I started this podcast, I thought it was going to do one a week. And here we are closing out on two years and we're maybe closing in on 43, 44 total episodes. But we started. We're doing as much as we can. We've had a lot of impact. Um, We've had a lot of people on, a lot of great people doing great things. People that have tried things, and failed, and, and won, and lost, and learned along the way, and shared stuff with people. But today, this guy, I've been trying to get on here for a while, and I, I will, I'll say he's worked harder at it than I have. It's popped, up, popped me a question. Hey, when are we going to get together? So he's another New Hampshire guy, a Concord, New Hampshire guy, probably a friend of Sean Snows, who's already been on here. Uh, but Jeremy Woodward, uh, he's a heart failure survivor. Okay, he's an Ironman. He said the most important thing is that he's a dad of three girls. That resonated with me because I always start everything and say, hey, I'm Bailey's dad. You know, nothing's more important to us than that. But this guy's a six-degree black belt. He's a triathlon coach. He's a running coach. Um, he's done a lot of stuff, and he's helped a lot of people. I read on his thing today, I'm you know, veteran of like 5,500 different or 9,500 different training sessions, and he's a personal trainer. He's got his own joint. He started a podcast. He's doing his thing, doing a lot of the same things that I'm doing and try to do over the years. So um, super cool to have you on, Jeremy. Thanks for coming. Um, yeah. Tell us about yourself.
1: Yeah, man. Well, first off, Bob, thanks so much for having me on today's show. Um, I've been looking forward to this and uh, yeah, this is going to like my highlight of my day, man. So, um, you know, the most important part about all of this and everything that we do is we make an impact and have an impact, a positive impact on um, those around us, our community and everything that we're doing.
0: Yeah. So I, yeah. And like you and I are pretty well aligned. I I mean, I feel like we could have Sean Snow on here at the same time uh, and I had a great time with him as well. Um, I love Sean. Sean yeah. was actually
1: my first triathlon coach when I yeah. did Ironman uh, Lake Placid in 2010. Yeah, um, he was my guy man, and yeah. I, you know, I've looked up to Sean for yeah. many, many, many years. Everything he's done,
0: he is an incredible person and a, and an amazing soul. I always tell the story of me want, always wanting to beat him, and one one year I got close, and uh, it was probably my best year in 2010. In fact, I was there in 2000, I mean 2011. I was there in 10 as a spectator, so I saw you, but I didn't know you. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I always tell the story about thinking I was I had beaten Sean and we were in the finishes area together having pizza. And I'm like, I finally beat him. But I wasn't really saying anything about it because, you know, just uh, as a sportsman, you know, you, it was like I beat him. He knew I beat him. So I look at the results like that night, and uh, he beat me by seven minutes. <laughs> no <laughs> kidding, no started kidding. Thought in a different wave. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but it felt good while I thought I beat him. But anyway, I'm going to go chase him again this year at Lake Placid. So we're we're going to go head to head, and uh, you know he's been he's been a big part of me jumping back into it and and going at it at least one more time here. And he you know he's been a a little voice in my ear chirping at me every day saying you know you you can do this. This is who you are and and he's right, so we're gonna go back at it. We're gonna have a good time, and win, lose, or draw. I don't care. We're, we're just gonna we're just gonna go at each other and support each other and have a good time. So, um, that's awesome.
1: I will be up there cheering you guys on. I'm planning to go up this year. So good,
0: good. We'll yeah. have a good time. The goals are different now. You know, I'm I'm 54, so I'm not you know I'm not looking to smash it. I'm looking to go have a good day, good have some fun mm-hmm. and celebrate still being able to do it. You know. Yep. So um, so a couple of things I wanted to ask you about today, and and just so people know, what like, like take a minute and in, in not in a hundred words or less, but um, there's no way to tell this story in a short way, but tell us a little bit about, you know, surviving heart failure and what that meant to you uh, and kind of where you were then and when and where you're at now.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, awesome, man. So I was born with a congenital heart defect. I was born with a bicuspid aortic heart valve. So basically what that meant is, Instead of having the normal three little leaflets that help facilitate the blood flow um, you know, out of the heart, out of the aortic valve, and into the body, I had only two. So I was told that I probably never have any issues whatsoever growing up. Um, you know, it's actually quite common. It's one of the most common heart defects out there. But they did say if you do have an issue, you're going to know, and you will know quickly. Wow. um, and sure enough, you' like I went through high school, and you know when I look back on it, like I worked my butt off in high school, playing sports, um I played basketball, started in karate, um but I always noticed in basketball like i oh I always felt like i mean I knew I was working my butt off and working hard, but i I always wondered like if something didn't feel right, and I just thought, hey, maybe I'm out of shape i don't know whatever it is, maybe I'm not working hard enough, so I'll keep pushing the envelope and um, you know, looking back on it, thank goodness I didn't, because I was told that, you know, there is a point that you push too hard and you can cause detrimental damage, yeah. um, you know, to the point where you can die from it. So, um, yeah, now, uh, you know, I was 22 years old or just about ready to turn 22. I noticed some, um, I, I became symptomatic. I thought that it was, you know, consistent with like a flu or something. And then next thing I know, I've got black and blues all over my body um, we went in for a couple of tests and thank goodness for this amazing uh, doctor up at, the, uh, at our local hospital that noticed um, something was up in my joints. My, all my joints were black and blue and that was consistent oh. with endocarditis. Uh, bacterial endocarditis. And so we uh, did a, um, uh, it's called a trans echo. Basically they t- take a microphone, they stick it down your, you know, through your mouth, through your throat and right into the heart and they can see everything. And they noticed a huge abscess on the valve and it was something further beyond than what our hospital could deal with. So they immediately shipped me to Uh, Boston, Massachusetts, um, the most expensive vehicle ride I've ever had in my life. (laughs) It was crazy. (laughs) Um, And so I go down there and uh, yeah, they, they determined like I had the bacterial endocarditis. The only way to treat it was open heart surgery at 22 years old. And with that, it would be, um, you know, a short recovery afterwards, but um, you know, I was given an option. They said, you can either have another tissue valve or you can get a mechanical valve. Now, the uh, drawback with getting a mechanical valve is that you're on blood thinners for the rest of your life. Right. I was still, even though I was 22 out of high school, I was still participating in, um, you know, athletics and sports and playing like intramural basketball and all that stuff. Um, but I was also heavily involved in karate and competing and, and fighting and all that. And, uh, so I opted to go in the mechanical valve. I'm like, I'm going to take my chances with this. You know, I'm 22 years old. I'm invincible. Yeah. I, I'm whatever. I'm this is a little, you know, set back now and I'll figure it out. So we went in, I got a, I, I got a uh, tissue valve. Didn't want the mechanical. Didn't want to have to deal with all that. And they gave me a war. Basically they gave me a, a you know, a span of about seven to 15 years that the valve would likely fail. And I just said, fine, I'll deal with that later on. And sure enough, seven years, almost to the date um, of when I had my first heart surgery, the valve began to fail. And this time though, it was different, Bob, because I was very, the symptoms were very different. Um, I... Attributed it to starting a new career. I thought it was a stress because I started to gain weight. I went, you know, normally I'm about 175 pounds and now I'm creeping up to like 185 and then 190 and 195. It just kept going up in a pretty short period of time. And then there was a period of time in over like two months or so, two and a half months that it went up considerably. Like I went up to 210 pounds. My legs, I mean, I put a pair of sweatpants on and they look like cycling tights on me. It was pretty bad. Uh, Stomach was huge and turn out, you know, my body was in the beginning. It was in the, you know, uh, not even the beginning stages of heart failure. It was in the middle toward the end of stage heart failure. Wow. Um, You know, ultimately, uh, we went into a hospital up in southern New Hampshire and, um, you know, we said, what's going on? Can you give us some tests? Tell us what's going on. And they wanted to operate on me because they're like, you are an organ failure right now. And we need to remove your gallbladder, which was nuts because if, you know, I had this angel of a nurse there and she had a lot of pull and say as to what went on. And she looked at me as they were prepping me. I was about an hour from surgery, uh, from having my gallbladder removed. And she said, something's not right. She's like, if they open you up right now, she's like, you're not going to, you're not going to get off this table alive. You're going to die on the table She's like, You've, you, your heart is failing. It's completely failed. So we um, uh, immediately got out of that situation. The doctors concurred. They're like, yeah, we agree. Like they're, we're not going to operate on you. Let's give it a couple of weeks. Come back, see us, and we'll take the next steps. My wife and I had said, nope, this is not acceptable. We need. Uh, we're, not, we're not waiting. We went home that night, made a phone call to Boston. This is what's going on. They immediately got a sense to come down right now. We're going to get you in. So we drove down that morning, the next morning, um, and I went into the hospital. And sure enough, I was in the worst stage of heart failure. I had uh, the cardiothoracic team came in to look at me. And um, I remember the doc walks in and it was, he was – by himself at, the, at that point he walks in and he just comes over and he puts his you know fingers on my carotid artery yeah. and he's looking and he's like i'll be right back he comes back with a whole team of people there must have been like seven or eight in there at that time now and they're like you're not leaving here they're like if you go into cardiac you you are a very high risk of going into cardiac arrest if you go to cardiac arrest right now you will not live you will not live be you're in the worst stage you know i was 230 pounds wow. uh, all fluid they're like you won't live And so me, like always being optimistic and trying to look at the the brighter side of things, I was like, so is this an outpatient thing? Like, can I leave and come back for treatments? And they're like, no, they're like, if you leave, they're like, you're 24 to 48 hours from lights out for good. So yeah, it was nuts, man. It was absolutely crazy. So we stayed Um, immediately. We're on a very, very uh, aggressive form of uh, diuretics Basically, I had to, um, you know, pee out all this fluid to get it off of me to get me to an operable state. Um, and uh, it was nuts because, like, we got to a point where, you know, within 24 to 48 hours, I was feeling better. I had already taken some of the fluid off me and I was peeing all day. Like, that's all I would do. That was my job. Right. And my wife would come in, um, she would come in there, see me leave for an hour, come back. She'd come back and look at my legs and be like, your legs are already smaller. Like it was just crazy. It was so wild. The human body is so fascinating on what it can do negatively and what it can do positively. And um, yeah, so that was the the beginning of this whole journey and, and where it all began and stuff, man.
0: You come a long ways. And what year was that? That was in, uh, so the
1: first one was in 2000. Uh, okay. The second one was in 2007.
0: Okay. The summer,
1: it was uh, July of 2007.
0: And so you, uh, when I was doing a little bit of research, that was about the time you said, I'm going to do an Ironman. Now that's a little bit, that's that's, <laughs> that's a little bit nuts, dude. Like you're, <laughs> you're laying there going, all right, I think when I come out of this, I'm going to go do an Ironman.
1: Yeah. And that's so basic. And you can honestly, we have Sean Snow to thank for this, to be quite honest with you. (laughs) We do because I had heard that he was doing triathlons. Um, My wife had picked up a couple of magazines and one of them was triathlete uh, magazine or was either the triathlete or triathlon? It was one of them. And I read through it. I saw something about the Ironman. And I was like, I, at that point, this is the night before surgery, before my second surgery, my second heart surgery. I at that point needed the most difficult thing that I could imagine that would push me to get to that, to get out of the hospital. And then I would be pushed to do something really amazing. And I thought, What harder event, single day event on the planet than doing the Ironman? So I remember my wife came back in and I told her, I was like, hey, when I get out of here, if I get out of here, I want to do the Ironman. And she thought I was nuts. The doctors came in. They're like, you're absolutely nuts. They're like, you might not even walk out of here. Like, there's no guarantee with the surgery. It is extremely risky given the situation you're in. Even though I had like the most amazing heart surgeon on the planet for this type of surgery, they're like, there's no guarantees. So we, um, yeah, I said, screw it, man. We're, we're, this game's time starts now. Training starts now. Right. And uh, so I had surgery. Um, I got out of it successfully. Um, I had a mechanical valve. I had some other things that were done internally and stuff. But I said to them, I said, do I have the green light? And they're like, yeah, you get the green light. They're like, here are your restrictions. Um, you need to find a, a local cardiologist in New Hampshire that's going to agree to all this. They're going to keep track of your care. Yep. And uh, yeah, we're good to go. So, um, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. Um, I made that goal the next day after surgery, I got up, started walking around the ICU, one lap, first day, two laps, second day, three laps, third day. And then, um, you know, I, I ended up staying in the hospital three weeks post-op because we had some complications, um, with the INR because I'm on mechanic, you know, I got a mechanical valve. I'm on INR and, uh, I'm sorry, I'm on, um,
0: I got you. I think you must've got a call or something. I did. I'm sorry. I, well, no, it's okay. Okay. We got there.
1: Okay. So, uh, because I had a mechanical heart valve, um, yep. I was put on Coumadin and my body just was not responding well to it. So we had to figure out a way to work around all of that and which fortunately we're able to. And, um, said yeah let's do this so I walked out of the hospital and training started um you know it
0: started that day and then so so it was that was 07 you said correct So yeah in 2010 you crossed the line at Ironman Lake Placid
1: I did and what was really awesome about this Bob was that it was almost three years to the date of my heart surgery and it was uh, when I went through the finish line. One of the head cardiac nurses that had taken care of me in the ICU, her husband was competing. Um, he was—he's a total stud triathlete, and he was competing at Ironman uh, Lake Placid. And I got to see them as I came across. It was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, she's probably like, "What are you doing here, dude? <laughs> <laughs> You're nuts, man!" <laughs> yeah, it was wild. It's been a wild
1: ride since. So. Um, yeah. you know, one so, day has taking me places I never thought it would take me.
0: Yeah. Isn't that funny? I mean, Ironman does that to you. Triathlon does that to you. I mean, it's, uh, even with my contracting business, a lot of the guys that, that worked with me over the years would say, Hey, how come everybody we work for has a carbon fiber bike hanging in their garage? You know? Yeah. And I'm like, Cause those are the people I see on the weekends, you know? Yeah. So, um, so you've got quite a story and, and you you become part of the, the Heart foundation, um, and you do personal training, you it's live life to the fittest, and so you're doing a lot. Dude, you're staying active, right? Like, you're not somebody that, that hey, you got a this new lease on life, and you're just tiptoeing around, okay? So there's probably some people that have dealt with what you're dealing with that, that don't dare to move. And here you are out knocking off Ironmans and triathlons and six Boston marathons? That is correct, yep. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, you know, like your, your, cardio, your cardiologist must just be going like this, like, dude, like, what are you doing? But I mean, tell me about that, that mindset about like, you know, I'm living for today. Right? I mean, clearly you are. Absolutely.
1: And so it has not been an easy ride, like literally no pun intended. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, one of the things that the cardiac team down in Boston had said, they said, you need to find a cardiologist who will back and support you with all of this. Mm -hmm. So when I came back here to New Hampshire, I went and interviewed with a couple of different um, uh, cardiologists. And the first two, they were like, no, no, no. They're like, you can't do this. They're like, okay, you know, we want you to exercise. We want you to walk, blah, blah, blah. But no, no, triathlon, Ironman, not a chance, no way. And then I was referred to somebody um, and they said, this is your guy. This is the guy you want to talk to. I went in there. I told them what I wanted to accomplish. He said, okay, done deal. He's like, as long as your Echo, your EKGs, everything comes back clean. He's like, yeah, you're good. We're in. He's like, and I'm on board. And he's like, I wish more people in here would be doing the same because well, a lot of people that come in here are in a very, very different situation. So, um, I've you know, had his blessing ever since he's an amazing uh, cardiologist. Um, and, uh, yeah. So his name, uh, Dr. Carl fear, he's in Manchester and, you know, he used to be a triathlete himself. So he got, he, he gets it. He understands it. And, yeah. um, yeah you know, I've been able to do all these races and get there, you know, uh, get, get his blessing. And, you know, the thing is too, like, yeah, I want to push myself and I want to take it to the next level and whatever, but I also do it because I can And, you know, I want to, you know, inspire those around me that no matter what, you know,
0: you might have going on, like there's always a little bit more you can do and you can do it. So. Yeah. And think of the, think of the message you're sending your, your kids, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I recently just competed at Ironman Arizona. Um, This was two and a half, about two and a half weeks ago. Um, uh, And my whole thing with that was I've got three girls. I have a 15, a 12 and a six year old. I wanted to see them. uh, I wanted them to see me, you know, make that commitment to do this race. Mm -hmm. Follow through with it and cross that finish line. Because when life gets hard for them, it will, you know, they'll remember that day. Like my dad did an I He trained for an Ironman during a very hard and stressful period of my life. He also, you know, he did this race and he committed to it, made it happen. And, you know, this race was very different. Ironman Arizona was very different for me than Ironman Lake Placid on so many levels. In, in what way? Um, the girls understanding what it's all about. And when I did it prior, it was about me, you know, overcoming a major challenge of heart, you know, heart surgery and heart failure and getting across that finish line this time. Okay. I've already checked that off the box. I know I can do that. This time it was life has been extremely difficult the last few years, especially the last year and a half. So many changes moving our, you know, sold our home, moving, uh, move my studio, all these different things. It has not been easy. I wanted to quit six months ago when I signed up for the race. um, I was just telling a friend this the other day. I wanted to quit every single day. I wanted to just say, you know what? Now's not my time. Next year, I'll do it. I'll get in next year. It's fine when life is a little bit easier. And I was like, screw that, man. Life is not going to be easier. Something else
0: is going to come up. I got to get this done. I want my girls to see me do this. That was my driving force. That's awesome. How how did it go? Tell me about race day. How did it go? in the, you know, what was your mentality? And were you up? Were you down? Did it go well? It was uh challenging
1: to be expected. There is no you know, somebody said, Oh, there are easy easier Ironmans. I don't know, but I think that's a bunch of BS. There are no easier Ironmans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ex- <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah, there were no easy Ironmans, um, and this one was not easy at all. You know, if you look at the elevation of Lake Placid, it's 7,800 feet of climbing. Uh, Arizona's 22, I think, 2,200 feet of climbing on the bike.
0: Um,
1: you know, I got in the, uh, the swim. I, I actually panicked in the swim. I'm not a fast swimmer that happens to me.
0: Like That happens to me. So the, I've started races just slowly, walked in at the back of the pack, Take 10 strokes and be going, burr, burr. and I'm like, what is going on here? Come on. We've done this before, you know? Exactly.
1: And that is what happened, man. I'm like, I did not yeah. travel out here to have my day,
0: end, <laughs> and I haven't even gone 50 yards
1: yet. I was like, how?
0: Yeah, imp- you I- the swim caps go by you. You're like, ah, oh, what are we doing here? <laughs> you should have.
1: I had a conversation with myself, and you should have heard the conversation. If anybody had heard the conversation, <laughs> yeah. you I was like, Jeremy, you you, blah, 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 blank, blank, blank. Get your butt in gear. Let's go. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I got, you know, I got out there and, you know, made the 1.2 out, turn around. It was actually very enjoyable after that first seven minutes of just absolute, you know, panic in the water. Um, got on the bike. Bike first lap was pretty decent. Second lap, the winds picked up a bit on the return. Typically on that course, it's a bit of a climb out. It's a false flat out. You make the turn. It's three loops. You make the turn you come back and you get a nice fast um, fast uh, ride back second and third lap it was slower on the way back than on the way out the winds kicked up the third lap the winds were 25 30 miles per hour in your face
0: um
1: yeah it was terrible but uh you know get off the bike i was happy to get off the bike no mechanicals no issues um get on the run my girls saw me they were like super happy and I had told my wife, I said, I get off the bike. My feet hit the, you know, my my feet hit the ground.
0: We're there. We're there. there. Yeah.
1: And, uh, sure enough, you know, it's a two loop run. Um, I enjoyed every minute of the run. There was a point where I really didn't enjoy it at mile 19 ish, 20. I was like, I had no, I had nothing left of me. I was done with the aid station. I was done. I was like, so I walked the, I walked miles Mm -hmm. 20, 21 and 22 and a half, um, and i just i enjoyed it i got back i was like you know what i'm enjoying this This is good i made all the cutoffs i've got to finish like i could crawl and i'm gonna finish whatever and they uh crossed that finish line it was pretty awesome the girls were so happy to see me come across and
0: yeah i'll never forget it man to me sometimes like i've always been fortunate enough because i've been you know I've trained hard and done all that and, and, and not having to deal with some of the stuff you've dealt with. But I've always, you know, my thing was like, I'm not putting any glow sticks on. I finish in the daylight, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, some of those people that are out there, I mean, the people that are out there, they're some of the toughest people on the course that day. They're, Absolutely. They're in the dark. I mean, they're like, I, I've been fortunate enough to get in fair, fairly reasonable. And, you know, they're just firing up the generators and the light trees and all that. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to be, I do not want to be out here late night. And, yeah, uh, been written knock on wood, been very fortunate that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean the people that those are the real stories, you know, the, the guy that's coming across 16, 17 hours and they've all got a story, you know what I mean? Like Absolutely. And, uh, everybody takes a little different, something different from it. You know, um, how did you find the training, you know, kind of coming back to it? Did you do, I mean, today I find like, if I go out on my bike uh, I'm getting buzzed. I'm getting almost run over and people aren't paying attention. They're texting, they're, they're smoking dope, whatever it is. Uh, I don't feel as safe out there as I used to. Did you find that to be the same case? I did. I,
1: I, um, I love being outdoors on my bike. Yeah. So, um, could I do, could I, should I have done a lot of my training on the indoor indoors? Probably because of that reason. But I also said, you know what? I want to be outdoors. I'd go out at five o'clock in the morning. I'd go out as early as I could. Avoid the times where I knew it'd be super busy. I only had like one or two rides where I was out there in the midday when it was busy. And I actually, I regretted it because those were the days that you get somebody who
0: drives by you and they buzz you. And it's just, it's, it's getting crazy. It's getting dangerous. Yeah, it is. I've got a, I bought a, I'm looking at it right now, the kicker trainer. I'm going to do a lot of it right, Mm. right here in this space. And, uh, but I'll get outside when it matters. You got to get those centuries in, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll talk with Sean about that, but Hey, let's, pivot. you know
1: what I loved yeah. is I started doing my, I did my, a lot of my runs were done at night. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, during the summer and fall, it's not too cold at night. You know, it's yeah. nice. It's comfortable. I'd go all, I, you know, of all my night runs, evening runs I did, I only dealt with like one issue where I had um, a dog that got loose and came up and followed me and whatever. Other than that, man, that was, I loved night running,
0: uh, you know, throw on my headlamp and go oh, and yeah. the best. Yep. That's good. Um, I wanted to chat with you about uh, your Ted talk. Okay. When yeah. I chatted a while back, you're getting ready to do that. Uh, super cool. Uh Tell me about how you got the opportunity and what it, what it was like leading up to it. And then, of course, doing the talk itself.
1: Sure, sure. So um, back in my mind, I you know somebody had put the bug in my ear a couple of years ago. They're like, you really should do a TED Talk. And I was like, I'm not worthy enough to get on the stage to do a TED Talk. No way. Like, that's for the real deal. Like, no way. So that same person urged me to apply. So I applied for a local one um, in, in New England. And I got into to do an audition. Well, let me tell you. I did this audition in November of 2022, and uh, I was not in a good headspace when I did it, when I went up there um, at that point. And I sucked. I totally stuck. <laughs> and I, I got up there. I froze. I stuck. I said, never again. I knew when I did it, I was like, not a chance in the world am I going to get called back. And sure enough, I got a rejection you know, email. And that night I got the rejection email, and I was so pissed off. Yeah, not because I got the rejection email, but because when I went up to, at that point to do the uh, audition, I didn't believe in myself Right. that I could do it. Right. And I mean, this was it was fun. You'll laugh at this, Bob, because after I, you know, after I went out and I did that audition, the first audition, I uh, may or may not have gone to a McDonald's and <laughs> got, I was just feeling awful for myself. I went and I got a burger. Right. And I took a bite in the burger. And you know what happens? Ketchup and mustard comes down all on my shirt. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is it right here. This is God's way of saying, not, your time, not right. your time. So I sat, you know, for a good day or two after the rejection email came through that I didn't get in. I didn't make it. I was like, no, I'll, a couple of years, I'll get back in. I'll, I'll work on it and whatever. I'll whatever, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. And um, February of 2023 comes, I get an email from somebody, Hey, they had a couple cancellations. Um, you should put your name in. I was like, I don't want to get rejected again. I've already had enough. It's been a tough year. I don't want to. I don't want this rejection again. Right. And um, and then they said, no, you you're, you're putting your name in. So I put my name in, auditioned, nailed it. I was so happy. Uh, but I was like, hey, I nailed the audition. There's a lot of really cool people that are doing this. They got a great story to tell and a great idea worth sharing. And um, I got an email back a couple of days later. Hey, you're accepted. You're in. You've got one month. Wow. And uh, so uh, I went in, you know, put everything together. And then we went through a little bit of a process. Typically with a TED Talk, I think it's like normally about a three to five month process because you go through, you work with a curation team through over a period of time. And there's just a lot that goes into it, right? Yeah. I had a month. <laughs> I was kind of a last minute. Like I had one month to get in went over and, um, I did my talk at Boston college, uh, on my, you know, dream theater, dream stage, um, dream can like everything about it was a dream come true with it. And, um, I loved it. I got up on stage and I loved every single minute of it, man. I had some really amazing follow-up emails that came through from people that were there and they were just, it was just one of the coolest experiences ever.
0: That's cool. Has it, uh, has it translated to other speaking opportunities for you?
1: It has. And what I've noticed is it's sort of your ticket to the front of the line yeah. um, with stuff. And, you know, cause that's one of the first things uh, I, I've, I've got a couple books for 2024 and both of them came because they saw the Ted talk. Um, and one of them, an- another one that just came through just recently, they had said, Hey, do you happen to have a Ted talk? And I said, yes, I do. And they're like, okay, cool. So it definitely has helped. Now, I also have a book that I published in twenty, uh, just before twenty twenty two, and I thought that that would be the ticket forward, that that would help. It has, it helps, yes, but the TED Talk is is pretty, um, it, it, it's pretty amazing.
0: So, well, that's that's awesome. And I remember seeing you go through that. I watched it; it was great. Um, and that's that's quite, quite an opportunity, and good for you for for taking advantage of it. Um, tell me, you, you started podcasting. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I wanted an opportunity
1: and a way to be able to reach a a bigger audience than Mm -hmm. our local community. And, um, so I started the show now I haven't been as consistent as I should be. And that is something that for 2024 will be a big, um, uh, change for me. I'm going to go back to doing, um, uh you know guest episodes similar to what you and i are doing right now i've been doing a lot of solos um i've had a couple i've had some amazing guests on there i had iron cowboy on there uh, yeah oh man he was awesome and he and i become friends he's a good dude great guy um and i i want to do more of them uh with the guests so the plan is for 2024 a guest episode every other week and then my solo episodes uh every friday It's tough.
0: It's it's work, you know. Yes, it's you know, you know, behind the scenes, like we'll take this recording after, chop it up into some clips. I'll give Jeremy some, I'll put it on YouTube, then you gotta take it, and put it on pot bean and blow it up to Apple Podcasts. And it's like Yeah, you know, four year old guy that's you know, types like this, it's you know, that <laughs> it could be a challenge. You're like, ah you know, so you almost need an admin for this stuff, but Cool. I mean, you and I are aligned a lot that way. We're trying to do the same, some of the same things, and I think probably the recurring theme is that we both really just like to help people. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, 100%, yeah it's a hundred percent. Yeah. Good spot to be. And, and uh, you know, what's your overall mentality today? Here you are. How old are you now, Jeremy? Forty-five. So forty-five years old. You've got this stuff in the rearview mirror, but you're probably driving along taking a look up every now and then. If 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 I, you know, if it were me, I would be. Um how do you live today, and you know what's your general mindset around the the heart condition and that stuff? Is there anything you can't do or and any any of that stuff so after the heart sur- after my second heart surgery,
1: um I had a period of time where I very much lived in fear that I would have to do this again right. um and it set me back in a lot of ways because i wouldn't go out and do like you know I spent a lot of time. You know, running on a treadmill because I was like, I don't want to run outside and get hit by a car because being on blood thinners, you're at a risk of yeah. you get hit by a car. Yeah. If you're not near a hospital. You're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I lived in fear that way. But then, like, somebody said it to me perfectly, perfectly, you know, and you just said it, too. Like looking back in the rear, rear view mirror, like you get in your car, you're just, just at risk of getting into a, an automobile accident as you are other things. Yeah. Can't live in fear. And. When I had my first, when I had my first and second heart surgery, I didn't have any children. I do now, right. so you know, I also I think twice about when I'm on my bike and I'm going down that hill. Whereas before it might be like 45 miles per hour, now I'm like you know white knuckling and holding on to that sucker as I'm going down.
0: Right. I have no
1: reason. I have nothing to prove. I've done it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I uh, you know, those are the big things that I worry about, Um, you know, being on blood thinners, I have to manage my, my blood. I've got to keep it within a certain range. My INR is 2.5 to 3.5. If it gets too low, if it gets really low, then you run a risk of clotting. If it clots, man, like it's lights out. You're, but your date, your, your, your time on this earth is over with. Um, Gets too thin. Then you run the risk of bleed outs. And I've only, you know, uh, before I, when my training was getting pretty heavy, my numbers were all over the place. And that was, that was a struggle trying to get it within a certain range. Cause a lot of it has to do with how your body metabolizes and your
0: diet and nutrition and everything. And right, that was a challenge, but how did, uh, how did you find you know It's two and a half weeks. So you're right in the middle of Ironman recovery, really in my book. Um, yeah, totally how have you felt. And if you had, have you had any, any, uh, residual, you know, effects or Uh, Anything that's bothered you since the race?
1: No, um, more rest. My body actually feels better now than it has in a while. Um, I will say I had an amazing coach during the, uh, this Ironman, Lizzie Nyatre out of Alpharetta, Georgia with, um, she was amazing. I told her exactly my situation, what I needed, what do I want, what I wanted to accomplish. She dialed me in exactly where I needed to be. Um, But, In terms of the recovery now, um, I've done two runs since a lot of walking, two strength days and, um, I grapple, I do, you know, uh, with my instructor, we, we've gone twice and I feel good. I feel really good about everything. So, and I'm going to start ramping things back up, you know, after the new year, but it's a good time now to kind of eat what you want,
0: you know, feel good and get some sleep and that's it. Yeah. What's uh what's a typical day for you these days?
1: In terms of training
0: or just training, work, life, like how, how, how are things? What do you, what do yeah,
1: you, yeah. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty regimented with stuff. Um, I am up typically between four and four thirty each morning. Um, I'm in my studio typically around six o'clock, at least four days per week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Fridays. Um, I have clients till noon. I take a break for several hours and I come back, I work the evening uh, hours as well. I don't like doing the split shifts. I'm going to try to shift away from that soon, Um, especially with the girls getting a little bit older and the stuff they're doing. But I do try to be there to pick up the girls at school. I pick up my oldest daughter at school um, each day. That is a priority for, for me. Um, And uh, it's just, you know, the, all, everything that goes along with trying to grow a business and grow a personal brand and get out there and do stuff.
0: Yeah. So um, podcast, you've got uh, live life to the fittest. You're part of the Iron Heart Foundation. You're doing a lot of things. Um, how does somebody get a hold of you? Yeah. So, um, best way to
1: contact me would be through my website, which would be. Uh, www.livelifetothefittest.com. Um, I'm very active on Instagram at Ironheart Jeremy and pretty much across all the other um, social media platforms. Same thing at Ironheart Jeremy. Um, funny enough, I said I was so against like starting a TikTok account. And I just started one like a week ago. Do that. <laughs> I started you it a while ago, but I never did anything with it there. until a week ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So
1: and it's, it's actually, I've noticed it's a really good platform for, you know, some messaging, video, whatever and all that. And you, so, gotta yeah, be that's, everywhere, uh,
0: you know, yeah, you got to be everywhere and stuff. So what's, yeah. uh, I mean, you 45 years old. Got a couple on Iron Man's under your belt, multiple endurance events, and marathons, and that kind of thing. What's the what's the future hold for you athletically?
1: Um, my number one love, first love. Now I know, like since my heart's earlier and all that, a lot of people, you know, have related me to triathlon because I use that, you know, as the vehicle to get to accomplish some of these things. But my number one love man is karate and martial arts. I've been in it now. I started in October of nineteen ninety three. Um, I, uh, you know, I've been at it for 30 years and that is my number one thing. So I really want to make a big jump in, in what I'm doing with my martial arts training and stuff. Now I don't train like the way I used to pre heart surgery. Uh, I can't, I, you know, I have to be careful about getting hit and all that stuff, right. because of the blood thinners, but there's still a way to train. I figured out how to work around it and it's a huge, huge part of my life.
0: Yeah. Cool. Another Iron Man in the future.
1: Oh, yes. So I said to myself after Arizona, I was like, yeah, that's it. Especially the day after <laughs> yeah. when, um, you know, I don't know if the listeners like many have probably de- your, your listeners have probably done an Ironman. But, you know, like when I did my last one, I had um, some exercise induced um uh, I think it was a hyperturia. I'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly, but you know, pee and blood and all that stuff. And
0: mm, Yeah. Uh, doctors that little, on that.
1: Yeah. And I was like, uh, is it hypernaturia or something like that? But anyway, I, uh, I said, yeah, that's kind of dis- just yeah. kind of concerning, especially where I'm on blood thinners, but my doc was like, you know, it's whatever it like, it clears itself up typically in 24 to 48 hours. And it yeah. did. But um, uh, yeah, I, Possibly Ironman Maryland in 2024, yep. maybe.
0: Uh, but I'm definitely not done with them. I've got another one for sure in me. It gets in your blood. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, like Sean said to me, he's like, dude, you got to just get back at it. This is, this is who you are and what you like to do. And, I, you know, and, and because, like, did you ever go through the thing where, like, you get done your endurance training and you're like, well, I, I, I probably should go out and run a few miles. But you're like, well, if I'm not going to run 10, I'm not even going to suit up. You know, or if I'm not going to ride my bike 50, I don't really want to pump up the tires. And it's, it's not a cocky thing. It's like, it's more like, well, that you have, excuse me, you have to go that deep to, to get this, whatever effect it is you're looking for, whether it's the endorsements or, you know, and it, and it, it took a while to, you know, like, I'd never go for a walk, right. Ever go for a walk. I wouldn't walk a step, got to run. And now I walk, (laughs) I'll, I'll go for a walk or I'll grab the weighted vest. I did 75 hard and all that stuff. and it's a different mentality. It's a, it's a shift, right? Because, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're a little bit crazy uh, for doing the event to begin with. Right. Um, yeah. But it's hard, it's hard to shake the crazy down the road, you know, and, and just be like, okay, I, I'm just going to run three times a week. And like Sean has said to me, look, like, dude, as we get ready here, just go run three times a week, three or four miles. Then we'll, yeah. we'll talk. Right. So yeah. if you had that kind of situation where it just it's hard to shift uh
1: yeah, hundred percent. It's you know, and there's also and you know, there's a lot of research too. Like a lot of athletes, whether you're doing an Ironman or you do the Everest, you know, the two nine zero two nine, some of these really huge things, like you get depressed afterwards.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: There's that depression of like, oh, okay, well, I don't really want to go. Like you just and I. I, I'm not so much in it right now, but other things I've done, I've experienced that
0: and it stinks. Yeah. So I'm like, I just got to keep these things like, you know, in the, in the forefront. One of the things I've talked with about people that I coach and I don't know where I picked this up. I think it might've been from my mindset guy, but when we were talking about climate and he goes, ask yourself if you're, if you're journey based or if you're destination based. And I, and I feel like there was a time when I was more destination-based where, I hey, got to get to the finish line. And I really kind of shifted to journey-based. Like even when I hike or climb like Mount Washington or whatever, I find I'm, I'm turning around more and checking out the scenery and, and really just enjoying whoever I'm with or what we're doing for the day and not necessarily needing it to be how fast can we do get up and how fast can we get down or right. what's my Ironman time. I want to go under X amount of hours. And it's really now... About the training, about the people I meet along the way, and how many yep. people can I impact in the process? Absolutely, I totally agree. Yep. It's um, it's a balance to have because we're wired
1: competitively. Like, right. yeah, but yep. I know for me, like, I have to, like, I would love to be able to go out there and push myself to the absolute limit and you know do a thirteen hour Ironman, fourteen hour fourteen hour fourteen hour Ironman kind of out of the question for me to be able to do that. I'm just happy to be able that I can get out there and cross that start line and then finish, you know, get to the finish line.
0: Yeah. Um so That's, uh res- respect where you're at, respect the game, uh and I know you do that and and respect your your own fitness and, you know, your your own ability to be able to get there and show up and and uh impart that wisdom upon your your kids, you know. Yeah. i enjoyed when when Bailey was there just, you know, she'd see me f- succeed see me fail you know yeah but never saw me give up and that right. that was always key for me so um well jesus it's been fun having you on i've enjoyed it uh, i always kind of let somebody have the floor at the end and just say you know you got a, a bunch of people that'll see this over time um and I, you know i load it onto my my whatever the youtube and and apple podcasts and you know, if there's somebody out there that's dealt with something similar to you or even somebody that's struggling or, or you know, trying to set goals and trying to reach the next level, what would you say to people that are watching this? To believe in yourself. That has been my motto the last couple of
1: years. Um, now it's shifted. It was, You know, I've had some other thoughts about various things over the years, but... Late, the last year and a half two years it is to believe in yourself whatever that goal might be if you are dealing with a cancer diagnosis or a heart disease di- diagnosis whatever it might be, mm-hmm. believe in yourself that you can get through this because that power that mindset everything will get you to where you want to be
0: that's good i talked a lot i talk a lot with people about finding their edge that's kind of my thing is what's your edge mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like your edge is believe in yourself that you believe in yourself. And it wasn't until you found that even like with the Ted talk and all that, that things started to really happen for you.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely. And, you know, I started signing off on all my emails. Uh, I use it on my social. Now I use dream, believe, inspire. Um, And it all came back to the whole believing in yourself, like believe that you can dream it, believe that, you know, you can believe in yourself. And of course, um, you know, believe that you can inspire yourself, but inspire everybody
0: around you. And it's very, very, very powerful if you can believe in yourself. Well, hey, are we going to get you up to Southern Maine here January 12th for my event? I saw that
1: yesterday mm-hmm. or a couple of days ago when you put it out there. And I, I that's a, it's a Thursday, right? That's a
0: January 12th, a Friday. So it's a Friday. Yep. So check the yeah. schedule. We'd love to have you. Um, i love to, to have uh, people like you in the mix, and it'd be good to just connect, and uh, maybe we get Sean Snow to come as well. Oh, that would be awesome. Great <laughs> reunion right there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll find something to compete at. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. well, dude, thanks a lot. I mean, th- this has been good. It's good to finally connect with you, get to know you a little bit. Uh, we've crossed paths a number of times without even knowing it and, um, and, and chased the same people uh around race courses in southern Maine, New Hampshire and wherever. Um so it's really good to to get to know you and call you a friend. And thank you for taking the time to be on today. And uh I'll have this uploaded real soon and you can share it out and uh, use it how you see fit as well. So thank you very much.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on. This has been an awesome uh like I said, this is the highlight of my day today, man. It's
0: been yeah, incredible. Good. So thank you. What a way to end the week. Totally. All right, brother. Thanks. I hope to see you soon. Appreciate it. No problem. You Guys, it's been you. Jeremy Woodward. He's with the Ironheart Foundation. He's got live life to the fittest. Like I said, he's into martial arts. He's a six-degree black belt. He's done a whole bunch of stuff. You can find him on the social. Uh, I'll put the links in, in, uh, to his website and all that stuff in the, note, the show notes, as they say. And uh, we look forward to crossing paths again with you real soon. Thanks again, Jeremy. Thank you. Take care.